Hi, it's Erica Kohlberg. And before we dive into today's podcast episode, I have an exciting announcement that can help you save an extra $1,000 without having to penny pinch or change your lifestyle. On Monday, I'm running my free five-day savings challenge, where you'll discover simple and creative ways that you can save extra money every month. And whatever you want to do with that extra money is up to you. I'll just show you how to save it. The challenge is totally free to join. All you need to do is go to erica.com slash go. Erica is with a K and you can secure your spot. By the way, these strategies that you're going to discover can help you easily save money, whether you're a budgeting novice or a finance expert, and they're going to get better and better throughout the week. But I have to tell you, I'm so excited about this and don't want you to miss out. In November of last year, we ran a savings challenge and had over 200,000 people sign up. And on average, people saved $1,005 that month through what they learned in the challenge. That means our challengers collectively saved over $200 million. So trust me when I say you don't want to miss out on this one. And the deadline to sign up to be part of this free challenge is Sunday, 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. So make sure you secure your spot and get free access today. Again, that's erica.com slash go, E-R-I-K-A dot com slash go. See you inside. From getting into affiliate marketing in 2011, I made a million dollars in the first six months. Wow. It was wild. There are so many bonuses out there where you can go from zero to 100. Everyone wants free travel. Consumer can win by getting the most amount back in rewards. So those who aren't getting their rewards, basically throwing money in the trash can. Your number one goal should be getting out of debt. I always say my debt-free journey was the best trip I've ever taken. Get out of debt and into a place where you can pay your bills in full every month. It's from that point that you can start really winning at the points game. The best use of points that I've ever used has been to help save people's lives. Today, I'm interviewing Brian Kelly. He's the founder of The Points Guy, which is one of the most prominent voices when it comes to loyalty programs, credit cards, and travel. In this episode, we're going to learn credit card, travel, and money tips that will definitely help you step up your points game. I'm Erica Kohlberg, this is Erica Taught Me, and today we're here with Brian Kelly. You guys know that I love investing because you know that if your money is just sitting in a bank account, you're losing out to inflation every single year. That's why you invest it so that it grows for you without you having to put in any extra work. I've been using an investing app called Webull for almost four years, and I had them do something really special for my listeners. By using my link to sign up today, you can get between six to 12 fractional shares for free. All you need to do is open an account and deposit any amount, even a dollar, to claim your free shares. So just by depositing a dollar, you'll get between six to 12 free fractional shares. And if you're wondering what to actually invest in, we talk all about investing in episode 28. So go ahead and listen to that episode. To claim your free shares through my special link, just go to ericataughtme.com invest or click the link in the show notes. And it's Erica with a K. Again, that's ericataughtme.com invest. So Brian, the first thing I wanted to ask you is, what do you think are the biggest misconceptions around points and travel hacking and credit cards? I think the biggest misconception about points is that you need to be a frequent traveler in order to take advantage of all these amazing perks. And it's simply not true these days. Like the best way to get value out of points 
is through your credit card, maximizing your everyday spending. And there are so many bonuses out there where you can go from zero to 100 in almost no time by just like, choosing the right credit card, bonuses, where you put your spend. Anyone can do it. We've got college kids who are flying first class to study abroad. Yeah. If you were to describe to someone who has no idea what travel hacking or using points means, what do you say? So high-level airline frequent flyer programs were created as a tool to get people to fly more. Not to go too much into detail, but the airlines used to be regulated by the government. When the government allowed them to compete, they thought, well, we need to start how do we get the best customers to fly on our airline? So when they first started, they really were about those business travelers, frequent travelers. But what they've morphed into over the last 30 years, 40 years, is incredible. It's arguably, frequent flyer miles and points are the most effective marketing tool that's ever been created. So the airlines now, many airlines will now sell more frequent flyer miles to credit card companies then, and they make more money on that. There's a higher margin than they do actually flying planes because everyone wants free travel, right? Everyone wants to stick it to airlines and credit card companies. So the credit card companies have made a huge business out of getting tons and tons of new card holders by offering these frequent flyer miles. Now, where does the consumer stand in all of this? In the middle, right? So the consumers and at the points guy, what we try to do is say, well, the airlines are making a boatload. Credit card companies make billions. You know, every single time you swipe your card, that merchant is paying a fortune to have their credit card you know, processed. The consumer can win by getting the most amount back in rewards. And it, simply put, if you're watching this and you're not earning points on every dollar you spend, you are financing my points. <laughs> because the whole system, and especially in the US, you know, the, the cost of running a credit card transaction is built in, whether you go to Saks or, you know, maybe there's a couple gas stations that'll give you a cash discount. But in general, like the cost of doing, you know, buying things on credit cards is built in. So those who aren't getting their rewards are basically throwing money in the trash can. Yeah. What do you say? There are a lot of people who grow up thinking credit is bad. Don't use credit cards. They've been told by their parents for whatever reason not to use credit cards because it leads to credit card debt. What do you say to those people? I can speak from experience because in college I was stupid. I got a credit card, the University of Pittsburgh MBNA card. I think I got an umbrella in the quad. Uh, they gave me like a $2,500 credit line. I was an idiot and spent it. And then they kept raising it. So all of a sudden I was $6,000 in credit card debt. It's like quicksand. And it is, it's crazy. If you run balances, you will lose at this game, 100%. So if you are in immense credit card debt, your number one goal should be getting out of debt. Like I always say my debt-free journey was the best trip I've ever taken, right? Because that minute that you can un, you know, get out of debt and into a place where you can pay your bills in full every month, it's from that point that you can start really winning at the points game. Because the cre travel credit cards, if you're paying monthly balances, if you're paying interest on those, you're negating the value of any of those points. So to win at the points game, you must be smart about how you pay your bills off in full. That being said, a lot of people who make great salaries still have that mindset of, let me just pay cash. And I see it all the time. I know a billionaire friend of mine was using a debit card up until I met him and you know, he was just like, oh, simplicity and there's a peace of mind knowing that I don't owe anyone anything. But the perverse aspect of credit in the United States is if you're not building credit and spending every month and keeping your balances down, your score is not gonna go up. And you should think about your credit score as one of your most important assets. 
And, you know, FICO lists it on their website. You know, half of your FICO score is paying your bills on time and keeping your debt to credit ratio low, paying them off in full. Your score will go up. So for people who don't want to pay attention to credit or play by the rules, you're really doing yourself a disservice, not just from foregoing valuable points, but also by foregoing a strong credit score, which will unlock cheaper mortgage rates and so many other things in our society. So if you can pay your bills off in full every month, there's no reason in the world that you should not be putting your expenses on credit cards, reaping the rewards, and then paying them off in full each month to avoid any interest. Yeah. So take me through. I am a college student. I've decided that I will be responsible with my credit. I want to eventually, let's say, go on a dream first-class vacation to the Maldives on points. What are my steps? What's the time horizon also? If you have no real credit history, so one of the tips that I, a lot of my younger friends do is that you can actually get an authorized user card on your parents' credit card if they have good credit. And the way, you know, depending on the credit card company, but all of a sudden you may inherit their amazing credit score. So what I recommend, if you have the privilege of doing that, that's a great first way to give your credit history a little bit of cred. And then once you have that, you can get, you know, in college, I would recommend get a Chase Sapphire card because my dad once told me cheap is expensive. And it, that goes for credit cards. The no-fee cards are not the best cards for a lot of different reasons. But the easiest to see is just sign-up bonuses. You know, the credit card sign-up bonuses, the banks lose money on you for years because they want to get you in as a customer. That's why they offer these huge sign-up bonuses. So if you have you know, I would say 680 or higher FICO score, you probably can qualify for your own Sapphire card. If not, if they decline you, which is totally normal, I would recommend you can always go for a Discover card. They have Discover's very, all of their cards are no fee. It's a lower credit profile. Get a Discover card or even a Chase Freedom. Chase Freedom in general, Freedom Unlimited is a really solid card because what happens with the Chase ecosystem is as your score goes up, you can get their... Sapphire cards, which then unlock your rewards for that Maldives trip. Freedom in itself is a cash back card. But if you then get a Sapphire card, you can then take transfer those cash back points into the airline partners, which is where you get mega value back, which we'll get into, I'm sure, today. Yeah. Um, but if you can't even get a normal credit card, say you've had some blemishes, it's okay. You can get a secured credit card. Or actually, a lot of immigrants, you know, you can be a billionaire in London and move to the United States and have the credit score of a 16-year-old, which is so crazy. There is a company called Nova Credit. It's the first ever international credit score for, for like 25 different countries, from India to Singapore to Hong Kong. If you move to the U.S., they're now integrated with Amex, where they will pull your international credit so you can get approved for a U.S. credit card, which I think is super oh. innovative. Um, but say, say you can't do that, get a secured credit card, put 250 or they'll make you put $500 down as collateral, which you basically draw against your own collateral, which means it's very little risk for it. But the credit card companies, if you pay your bill each month on time, it's pretty quick how you know, your score will start to shoot up and uh, they'll give you your own credit. So once you graduate from a secured credit card, prove to yourself that you can pay your bill, bill off, then you can graduate, you know, there's always ways to check your FICO score for free. There are a lot of FACO scores out there, the fake credit scores, which you know a lot about. Uh, what you really want to pay attention to is your FICO score. So every couple months, check that. Once your FICO score gets up in the 700 range, the gates are open. You can pretty much get most of the juicy travel credit cards, and there are tons of them out there. 
I'm curious, are credit card companies still making money off of people like you who know the systems, know the ins and the outs? Or are they more so making money off the people who, let's say, do carry balances, do open the credit cards and then eventually carry the balances? Yeah, so customers like myself and, and yourself, we're prime or super prime customers, meaning we don't carry big balances and we pay our bills off in full every month. Now, the credit card companies still make money on us because there's a lot of ways credit card companies make money. You know, the annual fee they charge you plus the interest. And a lot of people, unfortunately, in America do carry balances and pay hefty, hefty fees. And then, but the big thing is the merchant transaction. So that's why even someone like me, I've never, I haven't paid interest in over a decade. They're still making money on every transaction that I do. Now, they lose money on me. For example, my City Prestige card, which is no longer publicly available, but I have and it's five points per dollar on dining. And I do lots of dining. Yeah. So when you think about it, and I can transfer those city points to airlines that city's paying over one cent per point in, you know, for me to do that. So I'm getting 5% back on a transaction that they're probably getting 3% 3, 3 on from the merchant. So in that specific category, city's losing. But they make it up, you know, if I use my card in other categories, that's one point per dollar, then they make up for it. So in general, I don't want anyone here to ever feel sorry for the credit card companies. They are making plenty of money. You, they're publicly traded companies. You can see for yourself. So don't feel bad and don't feel bad. I mean, not that I don't think anyone's going to feel bad about getting value back from the airlines. Some people will say, well, you know, if you're encouraging everyone to redeem for first class, the airlines are losing money. It's just not how it works. Fundamentally, the airlines decide what tickets go are eligible for frequent flyer mile tickets. Yeah. So yes, while at the points guy, we try to educate people on the highest value redemptions. At the end of the day, the airlines are deciding which seats to open up. And in, in general, it's unsold inventory. Those seats would have went out empty. So even if you're redeeming 80,000 points that you transferred from your credit card, the airline's still getting revenue from that. So it's, they'd rather get frequent flyer revenue than uh, empty seats. So don't feel bad about anyone. You know, everyone's making money. It's like my mission to make sure consumers in this part of the triangle, the consumers are getting their value back. Yeah. You've been in this space for so long now, this points game. How have you seen the industry change over time? Yeah, it's interesting. So I actually got into points in 1995. I was 12 years old. Uh, my dad traveled and he came. I was always a computer whiz in our house. Like in the early 90s, I was like a prodigy AOL kid. And my dad was like, you're so technically savvy. If you can, these miles are so confusing. And I'm one of four kids. We grew up middle-class family outside of Philadelphia. And he's like, if you can figure out how to use these points, you know, we can go. And he was thinking Orlando or, you know, maybe Phoenix. Precocious me was like, that's boring. I want to go somewhere cool. So I had just read The Firm by John Grisham and they went to the Cayman Islands, which sounded so amazing. So back in 95, there were no online redemption websites or apps or tools. So I called up the airline and this is still one of the tips I use today. Being nice gets you so, so, so far. So I was really nice to Sheila at US Airways and I pretended to be my dad speaking in a deeper voice. And she lit up because I think, you know, airline agents get screamed at all day long. Yeah. And I was so nice to her. We chatted. I learned about her kid and she helped figure out how to get our family of six using his US Airways miles to the Cayman Islands. And I booked the trip that day. I didn't even ask my parents. I didn't even know where the Cayman Islands were. And when I told them we were going to Grand Cayman, my dad legitimately thought for like two weeks, we were going to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> and then when he saw GCM, what's this airport code? And 
you know, so my first trip was in the 90s and points back then were very much like you just had to call, hope for the best. You know, as we look forward to today, I mean, there's still an element of that where you can ask nicely for airlines to open up award inventory space, especially if you're an elite traveler. But certainly the technology has changed. I think I really got into points in the early 2000s. I found Flyer Talk, which I was student body president in college. And all of a sudden, I was traveling to student conferences. I studied abroad, and I had US Airways elite status myself. And I stumbled into Flyer Talk, which is this deep, like amazing, rich community of frequent travelers. And that was my aha moment that, wait, there are other people around the world that maximize points. So I got real deep into it at that point. And the community was amazing. People would give each other free flights. Hey, my miles, this voucher is expiring to complete strangers on the internet. It was pretty incredible. And even, you know, in those days, the frequent flyer programs, they weren't driven by credit cards. I would say it was the late 2000s. Uh, you know, Amex was the big game in town. Chase made the concerted effort to poach a lot of Amex execs in like 08, 09, Coming out of the Great Recession, where there was the credit crisis, so many banks loaned really risky and you know, unwise loans to consumers. The banks came out of that and said, well, we need to get back. And A, we need millennials, the newest generation. They've been left out of the whole process. You know, They graduated into this recession. They can't even get credit cards. Really, in 2000 is when we saw a huge change. Chase launched Ultimate Rewards, their Sapphire card. And I started the points guy in June of 2010. And Chase had just launched and consumers had no idea, but it was really rich. Like you could transfer to United. People didn't even realize that. So all of a sudden, Amex, which was the you know, forever kind of gold standard and points, had this big competitor in Chase. Mm -hmm. And the Sapphire card launched. And it actually, in 2011, Chase had a 100,000 uh, point bonus on the British Airways card. And that's kind of what launched my career as a points guy. I had just gotten into affiliate marketing. And I explained how the... British Airways 100,000 point deal, at the time, the BA program was distance-based. So you could literally go to Miami 15 times with one credit card sign-up. And that's when my content started to go viral. So to get back to your question of how these programs have evolved, they're still based on, uh, it's less based on travel. You know, they're not frequent flyer programs or frequent buyer programs. Now, if you have the right credit cards and yeah. you're spending, and especially for small businesses, like I earn most of my points today still because the points guy, we do all of our online advertising. So like Amex Business Gold gives 4X points for Google ads, Facebook ads, et cetera. So having multiple cards and the ink card. And so this whole small business side of things is really lucrative route. And you know, for people listening, you don't need to have a hundred person small business. You can be a sole proprietor with an Etsy shop and then open up the whole world of business credit cards. And there are huge bonuses and spend yeah. categories. What are your favorite business credit cards? I mean, Amex Business Gold, is a, it, they give you 4X on your top two categories, and then they do it for you, which I really like. Some credit cards make, you know, just have fixed bonus categories, so you kind of have to do the math. Chase Inc. has been a no-brainer for years. They have, you know, uh, all the different bo bonus categories. So those are like the top two business cards we use. And plus those are, or the Amex card is a charge card. So when we spend sometimes 50,000 in a week, it's nice to have that spend capability. But when I sold the points guy years ago, part of the deal was you still need to let me put all of my expenses on my credit cards. Not a, not a corporate card that, you know, wouldn't earn points. Cause I'm like, this is, and still it's the number one way. We don't, we don't take free flights from airlines and hotels in general at the points guy, in very few circumstances. We generate all of these points through our advertising spend and then use that for our editorial team to do reviews. Got it. You know what I find so interesting is the business side of things. So you started the points guy in 2010. Yeah. 
And you sold it in- 2012. 2012, so just two years later. And when you started in 2010, you were saying you didn't know what affiliate marketing is. I had no so idea. So for people who don't understand what affiliate marketing is, can you kind of explain? Yeah. So when I started the Points Guy in 2010, so the original Points Guy business model was not a blog even. It actually started in April of 2010. And it, I, what I wanted to do was use my expertise booking airline miles and then just do a side hustle. So I was working at Morgan Stanley. I was running technology campus recruiting. So I was in HR, not making a lot of money. And I was like, you know, and during the recession, I got promoted, but they'd be like, your, your bonus this year is not getting laid off. Come back again next year. And I had a great experience at Morgan Stanley. I'm, I'm not putting it down, but it was really tough to be back office during the recession. Yeah. I would plan all of my friends' trips and points. And to me, it's like doing a crossword puzzle. So I was doing it for free, helping people plan these amazing trips. And my ex was like, Brian, you do this so well and you love it. You should create a business out of it. So the points guy was just a form website where you could enter in your information. It would email me. I'd see if I could help you. I'm like, oh yeah, this, this is reasonable. I have you know a million Amex points and I want two people to Paris next summer. So I would use all these tools, expert flyer, my, my institutional knowledge. The idea of blogging was to get more people from the internet to my award booking business. Yeah. Um, but my dad said to me smartly, he's like, how are you going to scale this? Scale, you can't, yeah. you know, and he's like, you need to find a way to make money in your sleep. And I'm like, duh, dad, like who doesn't? Like great advice, but it was great advice. But I never thought like that, you know, people, advertisers like Amex would want to work with a blogger, right? It's 2010. That was still very nascent. But in early 2011, a friend from college was like, you have to meet with me. I work for, at the time it was called Linkshare, which is now Rakuten, like one of the largest affiliate networks. He said, Brian, you're blogging every single day about Amex and Chase and this card and that card. He's like, you're linking directly to their websites. He's like, what if I told you that if you just use one of our links, we will track all the traffic you send and then pay you. We don't pay you per click. You know, you've got to get approvals, you know, and to get a prime credit card approval, it's very difficult. Yeah. But I always joke, I was blogging on a gold mine because all of my readers were consultants, bankers, and lawyers in New York, LA, and Chicago. Like, you know, the consultants, and to this day, they're still my, like, those are my people, right? They're on the road every week. And when you're spending your, and giving your life to your company, like getting those loyalty points is like, it is a bonus. Like, that's how you justify not being home for all those family events and not having a dating life because you're away Monday through Thursday. So anyway, I got into affiliate marketing and he said, you don't change anything. He's like, just keep writing, but where you put United Explorer card, use this link. And I remember the first day, I didn't even hyperlink it correctly. I think I put the hyperlink as text instead of like, and he called me up. He's like, you're making me look so bad. He's like, I got you approved into this affiliate program and you're going to get me fired. Quickly, it became like the first month, I think I earned $5,000. And that was like nearly what my salary was. And I'm like, this is, you know, I had 25,000 unique monthlies at the time. But I quickly learned the like more content, serviceable content around the credit cards, the more clicks I would get. It's natural, right? The more you write about something. And it really was April of 2011, the New York Times. One tip I give to entrepreneurs, always go through your spam inbox because I was going through my spam inbox in April or March of 2011. And the New York Times had written to me. And it was Seth Kugel, who was the frugal traveler columnist, who was huge in travel at the time. And he said, I've been hearing all about this points guy stuff, but like for budget travelers, I tell my readers not to use points, just book the cheapest flight. So I was like, oh, nobody. I met up with them in New York at a bar for three hours, like changed his whole view. He booked a free flight to Brazil. His girlfriend was from Brazil. And he's like, I wasn't going to be able to see her this quarter because I didn't have the money. 
but I used, like he was over the moon. I, and to this day, like that's the joy of doing what I do. Like when I can help people unlock yeah. what, what they're sitting on already. So the New York Times wrote about the points guy and unbeknownst to me, that link back increased my SEO dramatically. And then the site traffic tripled and you know the affiliate marketing money. I remember that day just thinking, I had thousands of clicks. Instead of hundreds of clicks on credit card links, it was like 25,000. And I think that was a day that I made six figures in one day oh in 2011. God. So I actually quit my job at Morgan Stanley that day. I remember that day. reading that. If you're listening, let me guess. You have a passcode on your phone. And let me take another wild guess and say that you have a password on your computer. But why are so many of us okay just being completely unprotected online? We have no idea who has all our personal information online and whether it's the good guys or the bad guys who might be selling your information or worse. We're talking spammers, telemarketers, robocallers, people who want to know more about you and even where you live. My sister had her data leaked online and because of that, her identity was stolen and it was a nightmare to deal with. We had to lock down all her credit cards just for starters. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Aura, a sponsor of this episode. Aura can identify data brokers exposing your info and submit opt-out requests on your behalf. When I discovered it, I knew I had to try it out just to see if my information had been leaked online, which they let me see instantly after I signed up. And get this, for my audience, they're offering a free 14-day trial so you can see if your personal information has been leaked online. To find out now, go to ericataughtme.com slash Aura to claim your free 14-day trial. Erica with a K and Aura is spelled A-U-R-A. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash Aura. And I'll also leave the link in the show notes. I still stayed on till June because my mom, so I quit in April, but I stayed on through June because my mom was like more, because she's like, this is too good to be true, right? Like being the cutest mom that she could be. But luckily, no, the revenue, you know, the affiliate revenue kicked in. And then I just, I was like, well, the more content I write, the more money I make. So, but it was definitely a little challenging being the points guy, bringing on different writers, you know, and then in the spring of 2012, a friend was like, you need to meet the CEO of Bankrate. And Bankrate at the time was the website. Like if you Googled anything like savings, home mortgage rates, et cetera, Bankrate was the personal finance site pre-nerd wallet and they own creditcards.com and a bunch of other tiny credit card websites. And I had, you know, I was a blogger with a year of revenue and I was like, there's no way a publicly traded company is going to want to buy a blog of a 28 year old. But they did, they saw the potential of like, let's have this kind of luxury travel tuck in. And so in May of 2012, I sold the site and a decade later, I'm still here and <laughs> it's been a wild ride. And I always joke that they're going to have to pry me out of the first class seat. Uh, <laughs> to get me to stop doing this. Now that we're a decade after you've sold, do you regret selling so early? No, I mean, certainly like the easy way to look at it would be like, yeah, I would have made a lot more money if I would have waited. But every entrepreneur friend I talked to was like, take the money off the table. It was a great deal. You know, I, I was, I never wanted to go back to the desk job. You know, I have ADD, like the working in a cubicle, I managed it, but I knew it was not the life for me. So I never regret taking that kind of the money off the table because there also, you can paint a rosy picture, but there were also all these downsides. So after I started making money, there were probably a hundred other credit card blogs that popped up and they were doing really shady stuff because you could tell people to cancel a credit card and open one 
And I worked at a bank, so I understood the compliance, the legal teams, like you can't poke your client in the face and by doing like, hey, cancel all these credit cards and use my links to get new ones. And I saw a lot of short-sighted behavior and I'm like, these freaks are gonna ruin it for me where the banks will have to come to a point where they're like, we can't do this because consumers are being told one thing, you know, people were lying about what a credit card signup bonus would be. You know, so I was a little nervous that it was all, the, you know, the, the floor was going to fall out. You know, selling and becoming a part of a publicly traded company allowed me to focus on the brand, creative content, and less of like the business HR benefits side that if I wanted to grow the points guy into the media brand it is, yeah, I was going to have to spend a lot of time focusing on. So no, I don't regret it at all. It's been a wild run. Is the information about revenue for points guy public then? It's not. So I can't talk like specific numbers. And in 2017, Bankrate was purchased by a company called Red Ventures. So Red Ventures now is our parent company. And they've been amazing in that they are huge into SEO, digital marketing. They have supercharged TPG's business like crazy. So I almost feel like I sold TPG twice because we got acquired in 2017. And Red Ventures has really invested. And we, Red Ventures also owns a lot of uh, Healthline, which is like the number one consumer health website, CNET, Lonely Planet. So now we're this huge media conglomerate. I can't give specific numbers about the business, but it's a, um, you know, the TPG business is, we've got over 120 employees now and, and continuing to grow. Pre-selling the business then, just so people can get a sense of what as an affiliate marketer you can make pre-selling yeah. the business. Can you talk about Yeah, sure. I know you had this one single day of the six figures, yeah. but I imagine that's an anomaly. From getting into affiliate marketing in 2011, uh, I made a million dollars in the first six months. Wow. It was wild. Yeah. Wow. And how, how much were you making at Morgan Stanley? <laughs> I was making like 80 to 75,000 a year. So oh, it was so like, then I would quit in a heartbeat too. In a heartbeat, yeah. <laughs> and that's why, but the funny thing, we, it was like a 90-day pay. So like on paper, in this little portal, my affiliate portal, I'd log in and be like, I'm rich. And then, you know, all the voices of reason in my life were like, Brian, you're not rich until that money's in your bank account. And I was biting my nails. And then one day I was actually in, in Madrid visiting my best friend and the Chase direct deposit like came in and I was just like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. Like, yeah. Were you always quite entrepreneurial? I was, I think, yeah, growing up, my, my first business I started when I was 13 in the same time period when AOL was big, eBay had just launched. And the issue for small mom and pop shops was that uh, the servers were so overloaded during the day you could only upload items at night. So I remember going on AOL classifieds as a 13 year old. And my first job was for this thrift shop in Vermont. And that she would mail me all of her listings and in 3 a.m. because I was on summer break, I would upload all of her listings. That was one of my first, like I've always had like this hustle and I've always known like as a kid growing up in suburbia, you know, nice little town, going to bed at night, I'd be like, I'm destined for greatness. I don't know what it is. Like I want to be, you know, I want to travel the world. I like, you know, the cookie cutter, you know, life I knew was not going to be for me. So I knew that I had to hustle to do it. And my parents, that's what I love about my parents. I'm one of four kids and they didn't buy us a BMW or, you know, if you want a car, work for it. And I think that hustle factor of starting to work early and on the internet definitely paved the way for me to do what I did later. Never in a million years did I think I'd build an empire based on frequent flyer miles, but <laughs> it's been a fun ride, I have to say. As an entrepreneur, what are some things that you feel like didn't come naturally to you and you had to learn it or train? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing I would say is managing people. You know, and at 
at Morgan Stanley. So I went from being an HR, almost VP with a small team to, you know, several years later, managing 15, 20 people and especially managing creatives. And I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs about like entrepreneurs about, you know, managing creatives, millennials. I'm technically a millennial. I'm 39, but I'm like the older school millennial that like, I did not have helicopter parents. Like I did not get a, you know, gold medal for everything I did in life. Uh, that definitely was a challenge and it, it became more and more apparent to me, you know, I have a vision and I love our content and I'm deeply, deeply, I love people and like being, I still read all of my DMs. I can't respond to everyone, but you know, over the years, like I never wanted to lose touch with our audience. And that's really what I loved and yeah. coming up in a room and having a blog and coming up with a great idea and being able to crank it out as you know, and then just you seeing that instant re, you know, reaction of when it goes viral, that to me was so highly so as the team grew, you know, I probably should have taken a lot more, you know, executive leadership courses because that's, I, I've always had these visions in my head of what the brand should be and I would get frustrated and then you factor in travel. So I'm traveling a ton. So I definitely think management was a big thing for me. I'm just not, that's not my skill in life. And yeah. I think I kind of burn out right before the pandemic. I think I was trying to prove to our Red Ventures that I was still had it in me to run this business and be the face of the company it's like, you can't be in front of the camera and behind the camera doing it all. It's just never going to work. So over the pandemic, I realized I'm not, me being managing, there's so many other smart people managers. Like I just don't enjoy being in HR meetings you no. know, and doing, <laughs> but employee development is very important for those employees. So I realized, so luckily Red Ventures and why I'm still here at the company is I don't manage anyone now. I'm like our key spokesperson doing things like this, bringing our, you know, my knowledge and the knowledge of the company to millions more people. That's really what I love doing. So it's yeah. kind of cool. And I would say to entrepreneurs who are looking at selling a company is really look at your bed partner, talk to other people who have sold companies to them because I know so many companies, my friends have sold the companies that will, you know, ask things like, what is my expense report going to be like? Can, do what, what, what is my authority to sign off on expenses? I knew someone who sold a business and to a PE company and he had anything over a hundred dollars, he had to get approved by someone in a different office, right? Oh my goodness. And you know, so luckily my partners that I've sold to have seen the, you know, we need to travel. We need to, and like I said, we don't take freebies from the airlines because I think our reviews are more trustworthy when they're not necessarily paid for by the airlines and the hotel companies. Now my role, I'm so much happier. Like the weight has been lifted off my shoulder. And I think my employees are the same. Like, we love you, but like probably you managing everyone and, you know, was not the best fit. So I think that's been the biggest learning experience for me, but opening up and being vulnerable and being like, I don't need to be the boss of everyone and everything at every point. And now it's just so fulfilling for me to see all these teams, you know, growing and pushing our content in ways that I never thought that we would. Yeah. And burnout's very funny because a lot of entrepreneurs experience this burnout. And unfortunately, a lot of them don't realize the warning signs in time to implement changes in order to help them continue to, to work at the company. A lot of them only realize that, wow, I'm really burnt out when they're just done. They want yep. no involvement whatsoever. The biggest gift I think that ever was given to me was at Red Ventures, we had a, a leadership coach that coaches our CEO and he kind of loaned her to me for a couple months. And she, because I would always assume, hey, the business, you know, numbers wise, we're gangbuster. You know, we're on, you know, getting booked on all these TV shows. Readers love us. And, you know, I'm getting this one-way feedback of people like, T 
TPG, you're a god, everything's great, we love you, you know, the site, we're doing these big deals. So that was my main source of feedback. So in my head, I'm like, oh, everything's fine. Yeah, I know I'm like a tough boss and right. But the getting an executive leadership coach who independently went in, and we also had like, you know, year-end reviews and my employees, but like, employees aren't always feeling comfortable through official company channels to give you the feedback that you actually need. So I was living in a vortex for a long time, not, you know, looking at the burnout signals that were happening around me, but having an independent leadership coach come in and she met, you know, confidentially with people. And then I got the report and it was like a big, you know, shock to me, but it was like, in the end, she's like, this will be the biggest gift you get. Like, this is going to be hard to swallow, you know, no one hates you, but, and it was like, wow. But it allowed me to like push my, you know, and change the way I work and focus on the things that I'm actually good at. Yeah. Which is why now I'm not burnt out and I'm as excited as ever to stay and, you know, continue to innovate. What was the biggest shocker? <sighs> the biggest shocker, I don't think that there's like one single piece of feedback, but it was like the people that I was personal friends with as well hadn't told me, you know, they had feedback that they still weren't comfortable. And I think the biggest shock to me is in my head, I'm like, I'm a nice person. Like, I, I, like what is it about me that wasn't, you know, people didn't feel like they could come to me. You kind of feel like betrayed in a way. Like, yeah. why are you waiting until this combusts? You know, and you knew everyone else was unhappy with me, you know? So- but once you get over that, it's not, okay, this is not about, it's not a pity party, but it hurt, right? Like, it's like, you know, if you have, like in middle school, when all your friends are talking about you, find out that one day it's like, oh, wow, like, what is my reality? What is real? What is it? After, and having the coach to work through it and then think like, what is my actual, you know, best value to this company Yeah, was the blessing. So it wasn't just like, bam, here's, you know, a punch in your face, we're getting back at you because you've been a, a jerk boss and and uh, over the years to actually you're very talented but your talents are here and i'm so thankful for it i recently went on an anniversary getaway with the husband and it was beautiful here's everything i got for free we got free business class tickets for an international flight which meant yep you guessed it i got free access to the lounge where we could kick things off with a glass of champagne then we got a free stay at a five-star hotel where we could relax and go to the beach. Okay, so now I'm sure you're wondering how I got it for free, and you know I don't gatekeep, so here's the insider knowledge you need to know. I did it by signing up for a free Built credit card. Built is a credit card that lets you earn points just for paying your rent, and there's no extra fee. And when I say free, I mean free. There's no annual fee for the credit card, and they don't charge a transaction fee for paying your rent with the card. You'll also earn two times the points on travel and three times the points on dining. Once you get your points, you can transfer them to travel partners like airlines and hotels to then get the free business class flights or five-star hotels like I did. To sign up for this card, go to ericataughtme.com built. Erica is with a K and built is B-I-L-T. Or to make it easier, go to the link in the show notes. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash built. So I remember reading something, a headline, maybe in the past year, about one of the airlines going after you. Is that right? Indeed. You know, we always knew creating an app that gives consumers more power into their points. And one of the things that I love about our app is if your miles are going to expire, we will push alert you. And as I'm pro-consumer at the end of the day, I feel like consumers are my boss. So we created features like that because 
I don't want a single mile to go expired. I want to empower people to do something very simple like shop online and you can reset that expiration. But we knew that might rankle some feathers. The airlines make a lot of money, not every airline, a lot of airlines have no expiration policies. But when your miles expire, that's pure cash in the airline's pocket. They win, you lose. American Airlines, for example, does expire their members' miles. And so they unfortunately decided to cease and desist us. They didn't, you know, they came up with a lot of different reasons why the TPG app was bad. At the end of the day, we don't track anyone's miles. If the consumer says, hey, TPG, we've read your security, we take security very seriously, I want to allow you to track my balances and like inform me. So if consumers do that, that's how, you know, we're not scraping people's accounts. We're not doing anything that the consumer mm -hmm. doesn't want. Fundamentally, we believe the consumer, just like you have the right to track your 401k and your monthly spending in apps like Mint, right? Because it makes you a smarter person when you have more total vision into your finances. I believe that's the same with loyalty. When people don't have to check 100 websites, when you can see in one spot, this is my net worth in points, and let's put all of these different points so I can go to Bora Bora for free. I think the consumer wins there. There have been lawsuits back and forth. We're currently still, you know, technically in the legal process. I will say, like, I think both sides, at the points here, we don't want to, like, waste our time and money on lawsuits. And these lawsuits can get extremely expensive very quickly. So I'm very optimistic that it will be resolved. I think, you know, it's just different mindsets. I think American has a more old school mindset of like the consumer and their data. I'm pretty confident we'll be able to resolve it. But I knew we'd ruffle some feathers, but having the world's largest airline sue you was something if you would have asked me five years ago, probably wouldn't have been on my roadmap. But, <laughs> you know, I, I still would like to say though, even though on the app side, we still work with American Airlines. We, you know, it's, it, is important to our readers. So I don't involve our editorial team in the lawsuit, for example. We do have it separate. And I do think for our credibility, you know, you're not going to just see AA taken off the points guy. I'm confident we'll be able to come to a resolution. That's so interesting. It actually is such a big problem with expiring points. I can't tell you how many people have messaged me saying, oh, points are expiring. So I actually have two fine print hacks, and then you can tell me if you have any more to add to this. So one, and obviously as a disclaimer, this doesn't apply to all airlines, all situations, but one, I made a video on this, is that if your points are expiring, you can go ahead and buy a flight and then every flight has a 24-hour cancellation policy. So then within those 24 hours, go ahead and cancel the flight. And then for some airlines, your points will then reset as if you've, you've purchased the flight. So then they reset for another year or whatever. And then another one, my dad actually used to do this. It's, I forget which airline it is, but you can actually donate your miles. So if you donate 1,000 miles to one of the charity organizations they've partnered with, that also shows that you've used your miles, so then it resets and extends it. Absolutely. Those are great hacks at most programs that will work. You just need some activity in your account. Another one, and just a general tip, if you're listening, if you shop online, repeat after me, never, 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 never go directly to a retailer's website because there's uh, cashback portals, but also airline mileage portals. For example, advantageeshopping.com is American Airlines, and you can buy a $5 item from a retailer and it'll take a week or two for those points to go into your Advantage account. But you earn points directly into your loyalty account plus the credit card points from using a credit card. It's like a double dipping opportunity. So versus going into a store where you're just going to earn those credit card points, shopping through an online shopping portal, 
And that activity will 100% reset the activate, you know, the, the clock. But yeah, there are easy things you can do. You don't have to fly to keep your miles active. It's a lot harder to get them back once they expire. The airlines will try to charge you. Always keep an eye on your expirations. So luckily, Delta, United, and Alaska have gotten rid of expiration dates on their miles, but some programs, there's nuances, so... Is it hard being expected to be an encyclopedia for all things points when things are constantly changing too? It is. You know, I, the, the industry changes every day, you know, mergers and program changes. And it is so, I mean, on one hand, it's like job security for us. We always have things to write about. And that's why I think with our app, like continuing to build and having personalized information, because at the points that we write 30 articles a day, but we're moving towards a like a feed of the most relevant things to you. So if you're a JetBlue flyer, or if you tell us you want to go to Bali, and if there's Bali flight deals, I want to create a more personal relationship with our readers to give more you know contextual, relevant content. Uh, I think that's a big thing on our roadmap to do to sift through. There's so much noise, and what do I actually need to know? Yeah. What is the redemption that you are most proud of? Okay. Well, I will say this. The best use of points that I've ever used has been to help save people's lives. Specifically, if you donate points to Rainbow Railroad, it's an amazing organization I've been working with for years. They help LGBTQ plus people around the world who are living in countries where it's illegal. You know, they're at risk of jail or death. And so we donate points. I personally donate quite a bit of points to Rainbow Railroad. And we, I met, uh, so in Chechnya, there are gay concentration camps where they're trying to eradicate the gay scourge. I read about it in the New York Times. I was like this, I put my head in the sand. I'm like, this can't be real. But luckily Rainbow Railroad, we actually have safe houses in Russia. And then we use points, Aeroplan points. You can donate Amex to Aeroplan um, and some other airlines we're working with to get more miles. But, and then we get, fly them to countries like Canada and Argentina and we declare asylum. So I met some of the Chechen refugees in Toronto that we helped save and to look someone in the eyes. And when he said to me, Brian, when the plane was taking off from the small airport in Russia and I knew I was on my way to freedom and I'd be able to live a free life. He's like, all I want to do is go to concerts like everyone else. And knowing my frequent flyer miles, it's like roughly 75,000 points can help save a life. To me, there's no better redemption of points out there. And there's certainly there are tons of different charities that you can donate points to. So I always like to say, giving to others, you know, Make-A-Wish is another one we work a lot with. I think 70% of Wish Kids' wishes include travel. So donating your points to them is amazing. And I've been on Wish trips and spoken to their, and to see young kids get to experience these life-changing moments. That's, I think, where the real magic is. If you ask me just like personally, I love flying Emirates. I always say like the golden age of travel is now if you actually fly the right airlines. So Emirates is a transfer partner of Amex, Chase, Built, uh, Capital One. And it's like 136,000, 250 miles one way. And uh, last year I flew Dubai JFK on their brand new 777 in their game-changing suite. And that's floor-to-ceiling, uh, doors. The Emirates first-class experience, even on the A380 where you get to take a shower at 40,000 feet is just out of this world. So I love redeeming for Emirates because... And also when you walk on an Emirates plane, it's like the United Nations. You never know your flight attendants are going to be, you know, from Uganda and I, or Egypt. And it's just so, to me, that is like the inspired way of flying. Yes, it's a little over the top. And some people say the gold bling bling's gaudy. But like, I just think Emirates has, that's like when I want to get re-inspired to travel, I love flying Emirates. Emirates is the best. I flew 
Well, I have to caveat this because my, my husband and I, we flew Emirates first and business class. And so I got him a first class ticket on points, of course. And then I really wanted to get myself one too, but they had run out. So I got on business. And You're a good he, wife. <laughs> I am. But you know, at the airport, we tried to switch. He was like, no, I want my wife to ride first. And just for regulations, they cannot let you switch tickets. But I did, when we entered, I sat in it for a good like 20 seconds, enough to film some videos. And it was magical. You're like <laughs> those influencers that get caught in first class. Like they're, I always see on like, online, like the influencers on, on private jets, but then it ends up being like, just oh, like yeah. a, a movie set yeah. or like, <laughs> or, or they take a picture real quick when they board. You're the real deal. One other thing. So if you're flying Emirates, when the doors close, you can actually try to upgrade on the plane as well. Emirates is one of the few airlines yeah. that if you, so always schmooze the purser, just try to be as nice as possible. If there's open seats, which I don't know if there were that flight, but one of the key tips, it never hurts to ask. It still goes to this day, be extremely nice and You'd be shocked, you know, hotel upgrades, you know, just being a genuinely nice person, especially during these times when staff is so overworked and the travel industry is underpaid. For sure. And it's all in their control, right? And why would anyone want to help a person who's being rude to them? Right. I know. And I get it. People are like, especially people don't travel a lot. Like it is stressful, but trust me, honey, like the gate agent at LaGuardia wants you out of their like they're not delaying the flight for fun to like <laughs> mess with you. Like they want you out of there. Flight attendants on most airlines don't even get paid until the flight is in the air. So yes, it's annoying you're on the tarmac and yes, they should be giving you water and snacks, but like just have a little bit of grace. Get the mentality that like everyone in the travel industry is against you. It's, you know, everyone is just at their wits end. Yeah. Have you ever been upgraded to business or first without having to pay an additional fee or extra points? Yes. So it's, operational upgrades. And my first one, uh, pre-points guy, was 2008. My ex and I were flying to Buenos Aires from JFK on Delta. And I'm a you know points nerd. I was broke as hell. I had no money to my name, but I, I looked on Expert Flyer and I saw that the flight was zeroed out, meaning that the Delta was no longer selling tickets, which to me is like, oh, they're oversold because airlines will keep overselling a flight. But if they won't even sell a ticket on a plane, there's probably going to be a situation when um, they weren't actually oversold, but I went up to the gate agent and I'm six foot seven. So I'm always like, let me just like let her know a, that I'm super tall. Let me charm her. And I just remember she was so friendly. I said, I was like, Hey girl, like if there's a need, I'm like here to fall on a sword for you. Like if you really need to like open up a coach seat, um, like I'm happy to sit in business class. And she was just like, she laughed at me. She's like, you're crazy. <laughs> but she's like, give me your boarding pass. She's like, I'm not, I can't promise anything. But then when I was boarding the plane, I was like, my heart was racing and it's like, and then all of a sudden, doot, 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 and it shoots out like a mini new boarding pass. And I, it was a 10 and a half hour flight, my first ever true international like business class and on a Delta old 767. But that was like the, probably the best upgrade of my life. Oh my goodness. So yeah. And that's another thing. If you're ever going to take a bump, you know, airlines are oversold when they're going to rebook you. Always ask for first class on the next flight. It never hurts to ask. They have the ability, especially if the gate agent's stressed, negotiate for the best price. Don't over-negotiate, but like say, hey, this is my bottom line and put me in first on the next flight. And a lot of times they'll actually rebook you in a paid first class ticket. So you're earning more miles as well. Yeah. I mean, you saw the headlines recently about the $10,000 yeah. offered to get bumped from the flight, yeah. which is insane. Crazy. And yeah. you know, I was shocked because I pulled my audience and I thought a hundred, I pulled them asking if you were offered $10,000 to change flights, would you take it? And I think only 70% said yes. 
Like I would, I don't care no, what the like, situation my is. Not like, that valuable. Yeah. $10,000. I'm doing yeah. it. <laughs> Unless it's at the, I will say at the tail end of a trip. So I love animals. I have amazing dog and I have such like dog FOMO by the end of a trip, like where I'm like, I probably would turn down 10,000 just because like, if I know I'm going to like hug my dog within like six hours, like, but actually, no, that's You're the true. points guy. Yeah, you have no, a very I have tons of points from. a mile. So yeah, I guess my situation is different. So I want to come back to the business side of things for you. It's just incredible that you went from just yourself creating a blog to now 120 employees. Yes. What was the process like? I mean, who was your first hire? Who were the first 10 hires? How did that progression happen? So my first hire was Eric Rosen, who was my first managing editor. And I had actually known him Pre the points guy, he was a travel writer. He went to Princeton with my ex. So I knew him personally. And he was like, obviously very intelligent, great writer for top travel publications as uh, like a freelance writer. And he knew points and miles. And that's been the biggest thing about growing a media business with the niche is that like you need experts. As you grow, you're not going to find every person's not going to be a points expert. So you need to find the balance of like, okay, who, a, who has the ability to learn? And also as we expand our content, in order to grow, you have to continue building out who you're speaking to. So, you know, there's always going to be friction between this con, you know, you're a sellout. Like in the beginning, I was so hyper concerned. Like people are like, you, you're a sellout. You're just doing this for money, you know? And I think listening to feedback is very important, even when it hurts. But also there comes a time when you need to double down. Like, you know who you're talking to, turning down the volume on the haters who are just there to, and people certainly in the frequent flyer community that I'd have been a part of hated the fact that I was a relative, you know, there were bloggers that pre-existed before me, but I took it to another level. And like, people are mad. Like my job is to fly and experience what people can dream. Like once in a lifetime trips, I get to do monthly. Like that, I can see where jealousy springs from. But, you know, so I hired Eric Rosen and I, my, one of my biggest mistakes early on was not hiring enough people. You know, it was a super profitable business, essentially from the minute I started it. And he burned out after about two years, I think, and funny enough, he now is back at TPG. So a tip for people starting media businesses, do not burn bridges. You know, I was like sad when he left. I was kind of shocked, like, hey, the business is booming. You know, I'm going to give you a bonus. And he was like, and I overworked him. You know, it was like, he's like, the burnout's not worth it. And I respected him for that. And over the years, he would freelance for us. And now we finally brought him back. But the boomerang effect is real. So even when employees leave and you feel hurt, nothing's final in this world. So always stay on. And on the flip side, if you want to leave a company, do not go out burning bridges on your way out. The world is so small. You would be shocked. Even if you're going to another industry, everyone knows each other. So your reputation is all you have. And it's just even as much as you want to flamethrow on social media, it doesn't look good on you. You know, even if you've trash your former employer on Twitter and it gets a lot of retweets, you'd be shocked. You know, it doesn't look good on you. And those tweets stay forever and they will come back to haunt you. Yeah. Not saying you shouldn't call out bad behavior or anything, but like, so I think the first couple hires were writers and I probably should have hired more people on the ops side. You know, we were doing things back in the day. We had a we, daily newsletter from the beginning and we would actually have to assemble it in Gmail and send, someone had to send it out at 6 a.m. Like all, you know, we, we were not a properly functioning media company, but I don't know, I, to do, I've done each every role at the company minus computer programmer. And I think getting your hands dirty in the beginning and understanding what goes into everything helps you hire better people. Cause you, you realize like the type of skills you actually need. Yeah. You need operators. If you're a visionary, 
a lot of times you'll think, okay, I'm exhausted being the visionary. I want to hire a second person to be the visionary. But like a lot of times that doesn't work either. You know, like if you have a strong vision of where you want to take the company, you need people who are going to execute and who match up with your personality style. I don't think enough we've in interviews and hiring people, you focus on what they've done for other companies. I think we focus so much on that or their education or, and I've hired so many people like, oh, this great media brand, they did this, but like, it was totally different than the points guy and where we were in time. So they were at a media brand that was way further along than we were. And it doesn't translate all the time, you know? So I really think spending time getting, focusing less on like, you know, you want to hire people say, oh, I'm hiring, poaching this person from this great company. But like, Spend more time on the interpersonal because when you bring people on who've done amazing things for other companies, half the time it's trumped up, by the way. You know, like it's everyone on their resume. Anyone can impress you in an interview. It's really about the interpersonal. Like, do I actually get along with, do we have the same similar styles? Focus on values. Like, what is that person, you know, how they like to be managed versus like past projects. I think that was a mistake I made just trying to hire people from glitzy companies to, to work in a role that really wasn't right for them. But in terms of growing the media company, you know, partnerships are huge and focusing on your brand partners and sometimes, you know, not giving everything away for free, but being a good partner, you know, when you're, you've got really good advertising partners, their budgets get cut, there will be cycles, right? And I think what's helped TPG over the last 12 years is we've had a lot, the same clients, the top credit card companies in the world. And there are things, you know, A, get to know people personally, you know, host you know, we recently at the points here, we did a salon series dinner with execs from cross travel. And we're going to be doing that across the country, allowing us to, in an off the record way to bring together the execs we work with, introduce them to other interesting people. Yeah, I think the relationships part of me personally, just, I genuinely like all of our partners. I know their personal stories. They know mine. So I think that's an important part of, but also just, you know, forever staying keen to like what your readers want and looking at your competition and seeing what they're doing. You know, the media landscape changes a ton, but you also don't need to reinvent yourself every three months. Like TPG, you know, we're still a website. You know, the, the core model is still roughly the same. I do think we need to tweak it. And I would just say to anyone starting a media business, you need to own your audience more because so many brands have, you know, relied on a great domain name, uh, you know, Five years ago when Facebook fans, we've got 3 million fans. And then one day Facebook is like, ha, 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 ha. Like Algorithm no one change. will see yeah. it. Yeah, pay to play. So creating your own newsletters, your own social accounts, but like also the social algorithms change day by day. So like always driving that back to your own newsletter, your own website, owning your, you know, creating an app and a customized experience is key because the media landscape will continue to change, but try to have as much of a one-on-one -on -one connection with your, with your audience as possible. Yeah. I realize that a lot of blogs will come and go, they fizzle out. It's very rare to go from a blog to building a media company over 10 years and still being so profitable. What were some key inflection points where if you had made the wrong decision, it would have fizzled out? There's certainly, oh, I mean, the clickbait era of 2015, BuzzFeed, you know, TPG was growing, you know, we're at 13 million monthly uniques now which is not the most out there, but it's really, we have a strong audience that is mostly, very much, mostly organic. We do smart paid and we have over time, but so A, in 2015, 16, we were on the cusp of like, just being like Buzzfeed and others, like clickbait articles. You know, we, we would see it would drive traffic, but it was cheap traffic. And I think when Red Ventures bought us, we created a data model that showed our huge audience subsets 
how people are coming back again. So like, I think a lot of media brands myopically looked at page views, right? And oh, 100 million, 200 million, billion paid, but it's crap traffic with an audience that's like gone in a second. So we always focused on, you know, and it was a challenge because we have these really expensive, you know, to hire a points and miles writer who is an ex-consultant. Our writers are very niche and there's not a lot out there. So if we would have done like the five craziest, you know, we did it some testing on like super viral content, the five best oyster bars in Key West, you know, like, but I always knew in my gut, I was like, this is not what we've built this whole time. And so throughout that media frenzy, when all these big brands were getting zillions of views, but that's going to stop at some point. So I think just being maniacally focused on content, are we still delivering in our editorial meetings? Are we still delivering value? Like, what is our consumer facing today? You know, whether it's airline mergers, COVID, and not always just looking at the page view and the revenue, but knowing that Overall, if you focus on quality content, your brand and your readers are happy, the rest will follow. Yeah. I, I imagine that COVID, because of COVID, you took quite a big hit on the business. Has that recovered to full yet or not quite? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, March 2020 hit. 2020 or 2019 was an amazing year for us. We really were hitting our stride with Red Ventures acquiring us and then, you know, replatforming investing in data, SEO, engineering. We never really had an engineering team. So 2020 was a baseball bat to the face. It was the first time ever since I started the Points Guide that we lost money. But it also, once again, we kind of knew it was a blessing where we could take, you know, the summer of 2020, we really rethought about our value proposition to our readers. You know, a lot of New York Times travel shuttered during that time. And a lot of other sites laid people off. Luckily at Red Ventures, TPG, we did not lay anyone off. We shifted a couple people around to other businesses, but for the most part, we stayed committed to creating quality content. We paid, you know, TPG writers were the first on the ground in Iceland. It's quite common in the entrepreneur space when I interview these incredible founders that they are quite paranoid. The best founders are always paranoid about the next threats. Mm -hmm. What do you see as, let's say, the two or three threats to the business that you're most worried about? Well, I mean, recession is huge, you know, the Point Sky started in 2010 on the heels. We were on the upswing out from the Great Recession, which we saw credit card companies not just not taking new customers. You know, there were companies doing financial reviews on their clients, reducing credit limits. Like, and even in 2020, the business almost stopped because we thought we were going into a Great Depression, right? So, you know, the economy is a huge player. You know, will the credit card companies have huge budgets to spend on partners if they don't even want to acquire new customers? But we believe you know, even this recession is not going to be a great recession, even if it is. And also, I mean, just the the algorithms, right? Like Google could seriously just damage our business tomorrow and they could shut off, you know, the floodgates. We would figure it out, but it would be extremely damaging. And that's something that we're completely out of control on. So continuing to build our newsletters and our app readership and just being in the press and as relevant as possible is, I think, how TPG is poised to just continue to be top of mind for consumers. Because even if you're going to turn, you know, Google shuts off our traffic, which would not be nice, you're still going to see us broadcast podcasts, you know, plugging newsletters, social media. There's still ways to get around it, but. Yeah. I have quite a selfish question. So I, my audience obviously loves travel. My videos I create on travel always do the best. And I think over the last eight months, it's been 15 million followers gained. If you were in my position right now, I'm much newer than you are to the business. What would you do? 
Well, I would say continue doing what you're doing because it's working. And even I love watching your content and you cover a lot of content that we create. You know, we've talked about for years in a really wonky way and you do, your format works, right? So double down on your format, but continue to, obviously you see the trends in social um, and people's attention, but you got to convert that traffic long-term, right? Because how quickly things move, especially you know, on platforms like TikTok. What you should never forget is that you are a star and people like you for you. And there are, there have been times even at the point sky where it's like, okay, Brian, you're not representative. Of, you know, of course I'm not, no one person's representative of everyone, but you know, I've doubted myself. Is my time come? Am I no longer, you know, even as you get more and more success uh, as a entrepreneur, I've had the imposter syndrome post-success where I'm like, because the points and miles to me weren't as valuable. When I was like broke and the only way I could travel was points and I maximized every point and scrounged every penny to take trips. Once I hit success, I, there were times where I'm like, do I really care about the fine print anymore? You know, and you may go through phases when you're exhausted and burn out and you lose excitement. So I would say to you, pace yourself and I love even what you put on your, your story. Always come say hi to me, right? Don't get jaded. I think if you get exhausted and jaded, that's when things go wrong. And you genuinely are a nice person and you provide value. So don't be ashamed of that. Lean into it and have fun with it. I like that. Thank you. I wasn't asking for like a compliment fest. I was, I was genuinely interested in the, the business side because you'll be quite disappointed actually. I don't really do affiliate traffic to credit cards. Yeah. And part of me, what resonated with me earlier, what you were saying is that you didn't want people to think you were a sellout. Yeah. And part of me is like, okay, if I talk about a credit card and then say, oh, sign up using my link for yeah. this credit card, it just feels less authentic. Yeah, it's a challenge you'll have. I think my audience early on, very similar to what I did. I mean, I still gave the same content that helps people and opens their eyes. And I will, you know, just on the point side, we talked about points earlier, but perks in 2022, I mean, it's all about the perks on your credit card that people don't realize, the purchase protection, travel protections. You can do it in an authentic way that, because you're at the end of the day, you are providing tons of new young customers to these companies that they want. So you shouldn't feel ashamed to take money from that. You know, as long as you stay true to your core, monetizing your business, any creator will go through this. But if you stay true to your core, your audience is smart and they know you. There's nothing wrong with making money. In fact, when I started making more money, I started creating more content and my audience knew that and they openly support it. And I think as long as you very clearly, hey, I'm in a partnership with... Amex, but here's the coolest thing about the Centurion Lounge that will make your travel better. Like, did you know that content is valuable to readers and they want to see you succeed? So there's nothing wrong. You shouldn't feel guilty about monetizing something you've worked so hard. Uh, I mean, we grew up with the TV channels, make money in commercials and you now integrated ads. There's nothing wrong with it. I know my audience would want me to ask you this. There are so many credit cards out there. How do you choose the right one? So there are three main types of rewards cards. The best, in my opinion, is what we call transferable points credit card. So that's, you get a credit card with a bank. It's a Chase Sapphire, Amex Gold, Capital One Venture, Built Rewards. Those are the key programs that I have most of my points in. So the transferable cards allow you to bank points and then transfer to a number of different partners. Truly Amex Gold, 4X on dining and groceries, what so many people spend on. So you wanna look at a card that's gonna reward you for the categories you spend the most in. 
Built Rewards is the only credit card that gives you points on rent. So you're able to pay up to 50,000 a year in rent with no fees, no annual fee. And those points you can actually transfer to United, American, Hyatt, and a bunch of others. So if you're paying rent, absolutely, that's a no-brainer card. Because when you actually put your rent on your credit card, it actually increases your score over time. But in terms of like best all-around transferable points, the Chase Sapphire Reserve is kind of like the primo card, triple points on travel and dining. And what I want to encourage people is the travel category, it's not just airlines and hotels, that's Uber, it's MTA, you know, transit, parking, tolls, you name it. So the name of the game is like getting credit cards that align with your biggest spend categories. So that's like on the transferable point side where you should really look to. And I use Capital One Venture X, that's two points on everything. So when I'm not earning four and five in these top categories, base spend, you wanna be earning more than one point per dollar. The second type of cards you should look into are the co-branded cards, so airline and hotel credit cards. And their earning rates are not as rich as the transferable cards in general, but it's the perks or where it's at. So a lot of hotel credit cards will give you a free night just for renewing at $89, but you can use that free night at a $300 hotel. Yeah. So it's always just about doing the math. I mean, same thing with the airline cards, getting free check bags. If you're paying check bag fees, or if you're paying for airline lounges at $600 a year, it's cheaper to get airline lounge for $450 on an American you know, executive advantage card. And the crazy thing about that card is, also I want people to know is once you have a card, you can get additional card holders. A lot of these cards will give you free additional card holders that also get lounge access and a ton of other perks. Like on the Amex yeah. Platinum, you, for $175, you can get three additional card holders that's $58 and you know, 33 cents per additional card holder. And they get Global Entry, Delta Lounge Access, Centurion. It pays for itself many times over. So if you have people that you trust looking into the additional card holders. Then the final type is cash back. So if you don't want to travel, this points thing sounds too complicated. A city double cash card, which is basically 2% back when you pay your bill on time. That's like the gold standard. You should be looking for at least 2% cash back base. Bank of America has a premium rewards card that can get you more than that if you have some of your investment accounts. You know, so at a very minimum, you're earning 2% back base level, but through the points, credit cards, their perks, their bonus categories, you can be getting way more than that. You know, for every 100,000 you spend, 2,000 is the baseline where you should be getting value. But if you spend 100,000 and you're getting 4X in dining here and there, all of a sudden you can be easily getting six, seven, ten thousand dollars $10,000 back in that spend per year in the form of rewards. So I want to also mention credit card churning. This is something I used to do very actively where I would open a credit card just to obtain the bonus, let's say 100,000 points after I spent $3,000 in three months. And then eventually a year later, I would say, oh, okay, maybe I'll just go ahead and downgrade this yeah. card or cancel this card. Can you talk about credit card churning and then also downgrading yeah. or canceling cards? So the biggest thing about credit cards that you should look out for, so the signup bonuses are juicy and great, but don't apply all at once for a bunch of cards because you don't want to bite off more than you can chew. Also, you want to be smart and methodical. Like I have 25 credit cards. I don't recommend anyone getting 25 cards, but my FICO score is near perfect because I'm maniacal about paying them. And the more credit cards you have and the more you pay off, your score actually goes up. But the credit card companies are onto this because every time you get a 100,000 point bonus, that's literally, they're giving you $1,500 in cash or thereabouts. So if you just open and close like crazy, A, you can get banned from a credit card company. If, they, if you open and close after three months, you're sending them a signal like, hey, I'm gonna punch you in the face. And you know they hate when people cancel cards. So I recommend keeping cards open for as long as possible. 
every year do an inventory. Does this card carry, does it bring me more value than the annual fee? If it doesn't, don't cancel the card, downgrade to a no annual fee card that that credit card issuer has. Almost every issuer has them. That way you keep the relationship, you keep the average age of your accounts longer, which is a part of your FICO score. But yeah, I mean, every three to six months to get one or two new credit cards is totally sustainable. And you just have to be aware, you know, for Chase, Chase credit cards are the most popular. There's lots of them out there. They have what's called the 524 rule. Basically, if you have five credit cards from the last 24 months from any issuer, they might automatically deny you. So when you're thinking about getting into this credit card game, you might want to front load getting the Sapphire Freedom card or Ink card first, because it, once you have five cards within two years, they may block you. So doing a little more research on the 524 rule, but in general, you just want to be a good customer, pay your bills on time, keep the accounts open if possible, and you shouldn't have any issues. If, you know, there is a Reddit uh, forum called churning where people go extreme and you can get the same card multiple times. That does come with risks. You know, the credit card companies can just cut you off for life and it does happen to some people. But the thing about this credit card game is you don't need to be going that extreme to get a bunch of free trips every year and save thousands of dollars. We were talking earlier about how at the airports, you can try to be very nice and possibly they might give you a favor, upgrade you to first class. What are some things that I can call the credit card companies and get favors on. So for instance, one thing that I've always done is right before I want to cancel a card because the annual fee doesn't make sense to me, I go ahead and call them and say, hey, would it be possible to waive the annual fee this year? Is there anything else that people can be doing to call their credit card yeah. companies? Once again, back to the, it never hurts to ask. So before canceling a card, if they don't budge, you can say, let me just talk to a retention agent. Credit card companies might waive your fee. They might give you 50,000 points, which actually are worth more than the fee. So you should always see, instead of the wave fee, hey, do you have a points option as well? You know, if you're in the armed services, you can get your annual fees waived with most care or with most major credit card issuers. In general, I think people, there's so many offers now on credit cards. Chase just launched a deal with Instacart. You know, you can earn 10X points on Lyft. Amex offers can be super valuable. You know, they have a lot of travel offers too. Like I've seen you know, spend a thousand with Air France and get 300 back. Plus you're earning points for, you know, using a credit card that earns 5X on airfare. So there's a lot of ways to get value back from the credit card companies, even purchase protections. I had bought a Montclair jacket, was in Iceland filming vlogs and I left this beautiful parka. Oh. And I called up, I put it on my Amex Platinum and Amex instantly took the $2,000 off my bill. I didn't need a police report because it was within 90 days. So yeah. like- understanding there are huge, huge perks, you know, uh, concert tickets. So whenever you get a credit card, spend time understanding the perks. Google, like, you know, obviously I'm biased. The points guy, how to get the most out of my Amex Platinum. We'll have the 10 things you need to do, you know, make sure you get your Uber credits, your Saks credits. It can be overwhelming, but when you do that every year, am I getting more value from this card than what I'm paying for it? You know, these $550 plus cards can easily pay for themselves many times over than, you know, the no annual fee yeah. options. For people who have credit card debt, how do you feel about balance transfers? Yeah. So your number one goal if you have credit card debt is get out of the quicksand pit. And obviously paying 20% plus APR will make it nearly impossible. So yeah, you should, instead of focus on the points and miles later, but 0% balance transfer offers it's amazing because it neutralizes, even though there usually is a 3% fee to transfer, when you do the math, 
if you're getting a year to 18 months, you need to neutralize it because it's literally quicksand. It's almost impossible and barring you getting an inheritance or, you know, the, to get out of that. So absolutely look into 0% balance transfer. I know there are top credit cards out there that, you know, have that. But in general, like just be maniacal, get yourself out of credit card debt. It will be the best thing you ever do for yourself. Yeah. What are some of the favorite trips you've taken? So I love South Africa. I absolutely love South Africa. Uh, Cape Town is just a beautiful city and safari. I love animals. So Sabi Sands, Singita Labombo has been one of my, my favorite safari to date. And I've done them all across Africa. Delta now flies to uh, Cape Town, United as well. So you can fly nonstop from the US, which is exciting. I also am a scuba diver. So Maldives. Of course. You know, have you been to Maldives? Yes. For my honeymoon, it was amazing. Amazing. There's something, you know, people will say Bora Bora versus Maldives. Actually, I love Tahiti and Bora Bora. And if you're on the West Coast, that eight-hour flight is hard to beat. But Maldives, there's something special about just being on a speck of sand in the middle of the Indian Ocean and just resetting and sleeping. Even when it rains, it's sexy in the Maldives. But Tahiti, from July through October, I highly recommend, if you love animals, uh, it's one of the only countries in the world where you can snorkel with humpback whales. You can actually get in the Pacific and... I went for a day and I get, my heart starts racing thinking about it, but being in the Pacific, looking down and I thought it was a submarine and it's just a humpback in her calf. And it was, I had this moment of just being like 30 feet away, looking at this mother humpback and it was like amazing. And also, you know, Japan, when I quit Morgan Stanley in 2011, I left my cubicle in Times Square and went straight to JFK, flew to Tokyo by myself. It was my first time to Asia. I just quit my job. I knew my life was in for this wild ride. And I spent a week in Tokyo in June of 2011, right after the nuclear incident. So I was like the only Western tourist, but just walking through the parks, getting ramen, like just, you know, Japan is just special. So I can't wait for it to reopen. But those are probably some of my favorite trips ever. I want to end this. We have a tradition. This is called the Erica Taught Me podcast, but really today is all about Brian Taught Me. So what do you want people to walk away from this podcast being able to say, Brian Taught Me? I want people to walk away from this podcast saying, Brian Taught Me it's possible to win at the points game and that travel's still worth it. You know, the travel headlines these days are crazy, but don't let those headlines scare you. I have a lot of friends uh, recently who are canceling trips and it's too much and Travel does not need to be complex. And it's been the biggest gift to me. It's completely changed the way that I view the world. And I think now more than ever with so much racism and fear of perceived enemies in, you know, in our media, like getting out there and meeting real people globally will change who you are. So I highly encourage people to travel, use your points because they lose value over time. One of the silver linings of the pandemic has been that most loyalty programs now Airlines will let you cancel your ticket free of charge and redeposit your points. So that added flexibility is huge. And I'll even book a paid ticket on one airline and have a backup reservation using points on another if I really need to get to a wedding or somewhere. So having points for me, it's not just about saving money, but it's about having peace of mind. It's about like leaving for the airport knowing I got this, right? And I think a lot of people don't want to travel because they feel overwhelmed, the industry stacked against them. I think what I want to let people know is like the points guy, we got your back. And as long as you educate yourself, equip yourself with the right tools, credit cards, protections, traveling is amazing. And I highly recommend it. Thank you so much. It's been so fun. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, Brian Kelly has an Instagram and I'll put the link in the show notes. And I have a huge favor to ask. 
It would mean a lot if you could take just a moment to leave a review for the podcast. Even just one sentence is perfect. It really helps support the work that we're doing. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today, and I'll talk to you next Tuesday on a brand new episode of Erica Taught Me.